Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to this week's Failed Critics Podcast. I'm Steve Norman, this week joined by Owen Hughes. Hello. Andrew Brooker. Hello. And Mike Shawcross. Hello. As we take a look at the last week and a bit in film. Um, but first of all, thanks for all of you who listened to our, our Danny Dyer special, now the most downloaded Failed Critics Podcast of whatever time period <laughs> tell me it is. Yeah, yeah. Basically, this year it has all of our statistics have gone up and up and up, and it's great. We've had a couple of reviews on iTunes as well. I would love more people to write reviews for us on iTunes, just purely from an egotistical point of view, because it makes me feel better. Um, but if you like the show, review it, please. If you don't like the show, then fuck off. But yeah, the the Danny Dyer Corridor of Praise episode it trumped pretty much everything else that we've we've released this year. So I'm really chuffed with it. I think it went down really well. I was really pleased. And I think James Willinger, who was our guest, was fantastic last week. Um, the interview with Jonathan Softcott was also pretty pretty good, I felt. So, yeah, feeling quite confident this week. And um, there's there's a lot for Mike and Brooker to uh, live up to. No pressure. <laughs> so, I'll, I'll just go now then, shall I? <laughs> so, yes, all of you new listeners who are listening after hearing the Danny Dyer one, this is the first normal podcast you listen to. Uh, stick with it. It gets better. <laughs> but for those of you who've been listening for a while, uh, uh, Zach, welcome. Nice to see you, in theory. Uh, and we're going to start with a quiz where I won last week, but we don't actually know what the score is overall. I'm pretty sure Callum won the week before. Yeah, we'll, 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 review, so, we'll review that later. Yeah, <laughs> we'll see. It depends if you win today or not, I guess. Yes. Uh, and so it's me versus Mike and Andrew with the quiz master being Owen. Yes. So the way it's going to work this week, um, I'm going to ask you a question first, Steve, and then I'm going to, going to ask a question to uh, Mike and Brooker. That is solid quizzing. That is how quizzes quizzes work. Questions. Revolutionary. And that is. Yeah. 
Yeah, if you it, get this as well, it gets better. If you give me an answer and it's correct, you get a point. Whoa. So, yeah. Break and, what, and, what, and what the points mean? Prizes. Prizes. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, unfortunately, there are no prizes. Only uh, booby prizes at the end, should someone eventually win. Um, so, Steve, first question. Yeah. Last week, we inducted Danny Dyer into our Corridor of Praise, and it has subsequently gone on to become our most downloaded episode this year. But on the podcast, we revealed that Danny Dyer claimed something tasted like chicken. Which of the following three was it? Don't, don't, even, don't even give me the options. It was the own brand Coca-Cola. <laughs> it was the own brand Coca-Cola that he said tasted like chicken. Don't even need the options. There you go. That's straight up quizzing. Um, Brooker, Mike. Uh, the question for you. Also on our podcast last week, our guests uh, Paul Field and James Mullinger both stuck up for a film of Danny Dyer's that we've previously slated a few times on the website and the podcast. But which film was it that they defended? Was it A, The All Together, B, Run For Your Wife, or C, Danny Dyer's Geezer in Gaza? Go run for your wife. Go run for your wife. It is run for your <laughs> wife, yes. I didn't even listen to it. <laughs> I, I can't wait for Geezer in Gaza to be made. It's got to be. Someone's going to pitch it eventually. He's done Danny Dyer, I Love UFOs or whatever it was. He did, I yeah. Forget, I forget. I get mixed up between his one on UFOs and Sean Ryder's one on UFOs. Oh, yeah, Sean Ryder's one was hilarious. <laughs> I've only seen like bits of it. I couldn't didn't watch a whole episode, but man, he's just completely spaced, excuse the pun. So the whole thing. Um, but yeah, anyway, so moving on. You both got a point so far. Steve, later on, we'll be talking about this year's Fright Fest. But last year, Mike interviewed director and scream queen Jessica Cameron. But what did she say that she could care less about? But, the, uh, but admits that the studios do care about. Is it A, looks, B, money, or C, cinematography. Hmm. Or D, balls out torture porn. Or balls balls <laughs> yes. out torture porn, yeah. I think we've got over that tweet now, haven't no, we? No, I'm no. still getting it. Always, yep. Yeah. Um, I'm going to say... Did, actually, just on that thing, that really annoys me that she gets so many favourites and retweets of that interview, not a single fucker ever clicks onto the website. The hits for that, that link that she sends out almost every day... Just, you know, pale in comparison to the amount of times that's been tweeted. So if you're listening to this podcast because you've read that interview, great, thanks, welcome. But um, can you either click on the, the link or just stop favouriting and retweeting it? Because it's really annoying. We get notifications every single time. <laughs> uh, I'm going to say... Yes, sorry. So what I'm did gonna, she... I'm, I'm going to say money. Mo money, mo problems. You're right. It was money. She said that she couldn't care less about money, about profits, but admits that the studios do care about it. So, yeah. Um, I don't know what her opinions are on looks or cinematography. Mike, Brooker. <laughs> also during the interview, Jessica Cameron told us she embraced something in order to promote her films. But what was it? Did she embrace A, James Cameron, B, Kickstarter, or C, social media? Social media. She is the queen of it. 
Yeah, probably gave that away <laughs> with that rant a moment ago, but it yeah. was social media. She yeah. is. She works social media because she knows it's the it's the best method she's got of free advertising. Yeah, I think she also made the point in that interview about sort of communicating with the fans, and it, it gives you that extra yes um, channel, which is great. I think it, you know she does actually. If you look at her Facebook page and stuff, she does respond to comments and things. So. And the tweets she does respond to, so she's to give her a juice. She does actually reply to those um, messages. So, moving on, Steve. Question three: Wes Craven made more than a few cameo appearances in his time, playing an exaggerated version of himself. But which one of the following three films did he not appear in? Was it A. Tales from the Crapper? B, Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, or C, Movie 43? So which I one know, didn't? I know, I know he's in, in Jay and Silent Bob. Um, yes. I'm going to guess he was one of the few people who didn't put their name to the god-awful Movie 43. You're correct. Yeah, he, he wasn't in Movie 43. Oh, and I'm going to ask you now, have you got a tiebreaker? I do have a tiebreaker, yes. <laughs> Always need to check when you're doing the <laughs> You do, yeah. Um, yeah, he was also in Tales from the Crapper, which is an anthology film from Tremor, which I didn't even know existed, and I thought it sounded quite funny, but he plays himself in that, apparently. But anyway, Mike, Brooker, which of the following films didn't Wes Craven direct? Was it A, Animal Man? B, Swamp Thing, or C, Wishmaster? Ooh, ooh. He's directed two of those. I think he only produced Wishmaster. Almost positive it's Wishmaster that he didn't direct. Do you concur, Mike? Yes. It was actually Animal Man. That he Fuck! Did. <laughs> In fact, I don't think there's ever been an Animal Man film. But the characters Animal Man and Swamp Thing are so closely linked that I thought it might throw you. But there you go. Damn it. Sorry, dude. Yeah. So, Steve, you've won. That's that's 2-1 to you now. And I'll make a note so we can remember for next week. Uh, yeah. I'll remember. That's the quiz. <clears throat> so, um, hello, this is Owen. I'm recording this separately to the podcast that we recorded. Um, so it turns out Brooker was right. Uh, he didn't, Wes Craven didn't actually direct Wishmaster. So, I won't tell him if you don't, but uh, yeah, let's just get back to the podcast, shall we? That's the quiz, on to the news where the aforementioned Wes Craven did pass away this week, unfortunately. Um, a man who has become synonymous with, with horror and slasher films. Yeah, mainly mainly because of um, A Nightmare on Elm Street and Scream. I think with those those two films, he kind of, A, started a genre, and then, B, reinvented it, turned it meta. Yeah, then, put then it back brought it some. back. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah. But, you know, a lot of supernatural slashers that, that have existed since 1984 are massively inspired by A Nightmare on Elm Street, and Freddy Krueger in particular. Um, which is just a fantastic creation, isn't it? Started his film career in porn. Yeah, <laughs> in a sense, yeah. A lot of his... That's all the good early... ones do. 
Yeah, he he was in um, a documentary, wasn't he, about Deep Throat? Yeah, I think. yeah. But he, um, I think, partly because he he started out in making exploitation films, and uh, those two pornography and exploitation films back then were so closely linked that it's, a lot of the people who came through that had some involvement in pornography. But um, you know, like his earlier film. The Last House on the Left isn't isn't pornography, but it's that's such a horrible film. I, I I really hated it when I watched it. I can appreciate like for what it is as an exploitation movie that. Oh yeah, but it's, it's got no entertainment value at all. But to watch it, yeah, exactly. It's it's difficult. It's really difficult, and it was made in 1972. And you think about the kind of films that have come out since then. You know, the the nature of some of the revenge films that we've seen. Old Boy, for example, was one that kind of make people often cite as turning their stomachs and, and all that. But you can watch Last House on the Left now and still feel sick to the pit of your stomach whilst watching it. And that's the reason I hate it. But you've got to admire the fact that you can make a film like that and have such a lasting impact. Well, absolutely. I mean, what's it? Thirty? What is it? Well, was it Forty 72, years old. Seventy-two. Yeah. So they're forty-three years old, and it still makes people do that. Yeah. It's yeah. Um, not many people can do that. Exactly. Yeah, that's kind of testament to his to his legacy, really. But he's made quite a few films that I've enjoyed. I did enjoy Swamp Thing that we mentioned earlier. Um, <laughs> Scream often comes up on our podcast. People like uh, Carol loved Scream too. Um, I only watched Scream for the first time as an adult back in 2012 and I've, re- I've written a bit about it on the website um, in an article but oh, I, I adore him I'm, I think I'm the only person that likes Scream 4 as well I Scream 4 was no, great I think Scream 4 went down really well from what I remember it was surprisingly well received wasn't it um, I just like how again how meta it went with the the going on about remakes and every remake mm. mentioned was one of his films <laughs> that was great but he produced some of those remakes, didn't he? Cause yes, he did. The um, the Hills Have Eyes remake, I really like that. I I still think yeah. that's a really good. Um, it's one of the best, definitely. Mm. And he, yeah, he even produced the the remake of The Last House on the Left, which was somehow worse than the original. <laughs> but um, I haven't seen the remake of that yet. I'm not. I can't bring myself to watch it. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not. It's, it's a tone down. I think it's toned down a little bit. Yeah. It is, yeah. It is definitely toned down. Yeah, yeah. But um, I don't think he had anything to do with the remake of Nightmare on Elm Street. No. Luckily I mean, for him, because that is dreadful. Well, yeah, I, I don't... Wasn't that Michael Bay produced? Uh, yes, it was. Pretty much says yeah. it all, doesn't it? Yeah. Mm. Um, but, Mike, you're like our resident horror expert at the moment. Um, <laughs> I mean, have you got a favourite uh, Wes Craven film? It's Scream. Is it? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's yeah. just... It's super, it re, it reignited the horror scene at the time because it was really mm. dead, mm-hmm. and it just came along and just gave it a really good kick. And I remember being in the cinema watching it overnight, and it just that opening sequence just people talking. <laughs> Drew Barrymore, yeah, yeah, like scary movies. Oh, it's yeah. just fantastic, isn't it? It is. It is. It's really well put together, and it's yeah. I'm not. But he he tried the similar sort of setup, didn't he, with um, New Nightmare? Yes, he uh, did. Like two years before. Yeah, with that whole I mean, method. I don't mind New Nightmare. I think it's okay mm. what it is. Mm. I mean, at the end of the day, you're seven films down the line. You've got to try something <laughs> a little bit different, haven't you? Exactly, yeah, because that franchise had gotten is going progressively worse, though, hadn't they? They had, yes. They had they... gotten unbearably bad towards five and six. Five well, and Freddy's six. Dead is just diabolical. Yeah, five and six are terrible. 
Three, I, I to tell you the truth, I really like Three. Is that Dream Warriors? Dream Warriors. Yeah, I yeah. really like Three. He it's wrote got... that, though, I think. He, he actually scripted it or yeah. wrote the screenplay, I think. If you've not seen the documentary, mm. it's well worth watching. It's four hours long. It's incredible. Yeah, I really want to want to get some time to watch that because it just sounds fantastic. It sounds really uh, in depth as well. It is. It, it's a fantastic, and it even goes into Jason versus Freddy at the end. So they, <laughs> they, they have the lot. But when you listen to that, they made it with a lot of love and feeling, and they just. It, yeah. I think the studio got in the way of things again, and they just wanted no. We want this fight scene. We want it to do this. We want this as usual took out their hands a little bit yeah but i think it's fair for us to sort of say that he has made some dodgy films i think it's also fair to say he's made some films that haven't been particularly well received or liked but at the same time he's made some very iconic films and iconic characters as well and it's going to be a shame that that we won't get to see his imagination put onto the silver screen anymore this is true yeah it was um quite a sad day at fight fest when that news came through Oh, of course, yeah. That's you were actually at Fight Fest. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah. Did they do anything fans... special for it? or was They didn't. Um, it's just so big now that it becomes quite difficult just to sort of reschedule something or do something like that on the spur of the moment. So I think it was just the fans talked about him a lot and there was a lot mm. of stuff on Facebook. Yeah, it was a shame. They showed Freddy last year uh, and it went down a storm. Everybody loved it because um, because it's a very good film, I presume. <laughs> it, no, it's just that a lot. Of, it was the right. It's the right place to play something like that. And yeah, yeah. Obviously, Robert Englund was there in Fight Fest as well, and Robert was brilliant. Apparently, he he was really good with the fans. I went to see something else, but it was my show. <laughs> Bet you're kicking yourself now, though. Yeah, I am. I am. There's another yeah. one. There's a few this year when I go through the Fight Fest. I'm I'm kicking myself for not seeing. So for what we've been watching then, Mike is going to start us off as he has once again been to Fright Fest. Okay, so as you may all be aware that in 2014, Fright Fest lost its main home in the Empire to the View Cinema, Mm -hmm. and to a degree... It lost its vibe. The atmosphere was gone. People weren't sure what they were doing. How to... they were missing people. They were... The whole experience was different. It had changed. This year, everyone knows what they're doing. They know which screens to go into. They know how to work the system, and the vibe was back. And that was one of the biggest aspects that I was hoping would come back this year, and it did. It was a lot of excitement. We didn't have a sleepy queue this year where we all go down standing in the queue for 14 hours waiting for tickets. Oh, they changed something, didn't they? Was it roadworks or they were no, doing some renovation works or they, something? Yeah, the Odeon at the bottom has been renovated and mm. all down the right-hand side where the restaurants were, they've all been taken out and they're building hotels. So literally, the right-hand side and the bottom of Leicester Square mm. is a construction site. Because that's part of the whole community thing, isn't it? At Fright Fest, that sleepy queue. That it is. It's a there. it's a massive thing. It's um, people. I've known people been out there for two days. Yeah, it's crazy. It is, um, and it, it just gets the vibe going, and then we all go and watch a film together after it, and it, it just starts the process. Because then it's two months after that mm. when we actually go. 
But there's a um, lot of other social things, though, isn't it? Because wasn't there a karaoke party? There was. I'll get, I'll get onto all that in a minute. <laughs> cool. But, so, overall, Fest this year has been even bigger. With They added another screen. There was over 70 films being shown. And basically, you had the slots to pick 25 if you were going to do them all. Whew. So, it, it becomes a headache because you now have to decide, well, am I going to do this one? Am I going to do that one? And you've just got to get on the rumour mill and you've got to plan your weekend quite severely now. It's not a case of just going in, sitting down, watching the film. You've got to you've got to really work out what you want to miss or what you think is going to be rubbish. And most of the time you get it right. And most of the time, some of the time you don't. And I found that I got it wrong quite a few times. Actually. <laughs> oh dear. So on the opening night, we st- we opened with Cherry Tree which replaced another film that they lost to another festival. And Cherry Tree is an Irish film, and all I'm going to say about it is it was probably the worst opening film of the history of Fright Fest. Honestly, I've never seen anything like it. The general consensus was it was complete, utter rubbish. We had The Guest last year, which opened... Everyone was bouncing after it. Everyone was up for the festival and you could have played anything after it and it would have gone down well. This time, everyone's praying that Turbo Kid, which was the second film, was going to be good. And it was. Turbo Kid is a great little film. It's a Mad Max-esque comedy, but not done too much for laughs. It's just got a style of its own. There's no oil, so there's no cars. Everyone rides around on bicycles. (laughs) And it's great fun. It really was. I don't. To me, it's not a fright fest film. It's a, it is a genre film, but it it's not a horror film that I was hoping to get. But I did enjoy it, and it's worth checking out if you can if you get a chance. Isn't that a similar criticism that the guest got last year? Because a lot of people said that wasn't technically a horror film, didn't they? They did. Uh, the guest again. I've watched the guest a couple of times. I think the guest is a good, solid thriller, and it's violent. It's not. Mm. It's not. Um, a TV made thriller where it's, no, no, no. It's, it's it is really a good. violent piece of cinema. I think it's it was a good opening film. I didn't stay around for Stung, which was the third film of the night, but it got very mixed reviews. Creature feature, people either liked it or hated it. So hmm. a, bit, a bit like Zombievers last year, it was a tricky one to uh, assess who just how many people liked it and didn't like it. Overall. Friday, then I started with a run. I was just on a run of bad films. Windwalkers was terrible. And apparently the film of the morning and most people's film of the festival was The Rotten Link, which is a bit of a shocker um, with incest and everything going on. It had people squirming in their seats. <laughs> so if you... Wholesome family fun. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, definitely. One of the one of the comments was, I could see it going going there. I thought they'd stop. They didn't stop, and then they kept going, and then they kept going <laughs> again. And I thought, my God, it sounds unbelievable. And the director was there, and he was a great, he was a good laugh. He was out drinking every night. These things go. So I, that was Friday morning. Hellion. Is that just to sort of interrupt you again? Sorry, Mike. Right. Is that the sort of film that you you think people go to Fright Fest to see? Something yeah, of course like the they do. Because they Something don't want like to that. see, rather than the guest, which will get kind of a 
a bit of a nationwide release and be quite popular because of who's in it and so on. Is the Rotten Link, do you think, the kind of film that, that that's what people go to Fright Fest for? Yes, it is. And that's why I think this year most people have gone to the Discovery screens. They are looking for these these films that might never turn up. Mm. That's the problem with Fright Fest. You'll see something, a.k.a. The Glass Man, which was, um, I think, about five years, four years ago. A uh, really good film, and it starred... Andy Nyman and James Cosmos and Neve Campbell. And it was a great little thriller, but with a supernatural sort of twist to it. Mm-hmm. It's only just appeared on DVD in the last month. Yeah, that's, that kind of makes me think that Fright Fest is worth going to just to see these sort of films. It is, and I think people, a lot of people know that now. I think that's what a lot of people, why people are attending it more. Looking around the lobby, there were hundreds and hundreds of new faces. That's cool. Year. Yeah, so that's really good. Yeah, it is. It's it's very very popular. It's and obviously another screen. They've got paying customers as well. So, I mean, if you're in London for the day, you can go and watch a couple of films there. Usually, if the tickets have not sold out, so it's very good for that. <laughs> it's very it is yeah. very good for finding those little gems. And there's a lot of little gems apparently this year. Deathgasm. <laughs> right. Great name. <laughs> Brilliant. I can't wait to hear about this. Yeah. Right, well, I will have to tell you feedback generally because we went off to the Duke party, which is a great sort of late night bit of fun where they get all the directors down that are there to bring a piece of trailer, a piece of cinema that they love that is just mental. So people bring old trailers that just trash trailers and things like that. <laughs> and it, it's a good fun. They're like, everyone's drinking and having a good time. And we did it last year and we wanted to do it again. But the only problem was it clashed with death, Deathgasm. Ah, right. So we've got the tickets and everybody that came out of Deathgasm went, it's fantastic. It is just mental. Absolutely mental. There are, there are ways of death that have never been done before and with various sexual instruments. Oh, right. Okay. okay. A bit controversial then. It's... Probably very controversial. I suppose you've got to kind of expect it from the the title, though, haven't you? Deathgasm. That is going to be yes, definitely that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Good. So it it did play very very well, and I think it's worth checking out if you're into your extreme horror. I'm going to re- talk about a film that is going to get released next Monday, and is my pick for next for to go and watch next Monday on DVD, and that is. Um, the UK thriller Bait, directed by Dominic Brunt, starring Victoria Smurfit and Joanna Mitchell and Jonathan Slinger. It's set Sheffield way, or in that area. It's a quite a violent little nasty film about debt collection. It goes very grindhouse in the last 20 minutes, which I don't particularly like, but I can see why they've done it, to really just give it that extra edge. But overall, the performances and the, the whole thing is very, very good. Well worth checking out again. Mm. And that's out on DVD a week on Monday. The, just so people know, Dominic Brunt is that guy from Emmerdale, isn't he? Was he? He a, is, yes. The vet or something like that in Emmerdale? Yes, know. he's the vet in Emmerdale. Yeah. He did um, the zombie flick. Before Dawn. Before Dawn. Yeah, which, which was also really low budget, but... 
got quite a lot of uh, positive reviews, didn't it, before Dawn? Is, is that the vet that possibly looks a little bit like James Diamond? <laughs> yes, he is. I couldn't possibly say that, no. Well, but just yes. have a look. Yeah. Just have a, yes. look at, have a look at the picture of the vet whenever you've got a minute. And, <laughs> and, then, and then just compare. By which you mean he's shaved now. his head and got glasses. I don't know. I thought this for a while, but never wanted to bring it up because I didn't know James would take it. I don't really care now. Right. James looks a bit like Paddy from Emmerdale. That's all there is to say. Um, another one, Bloodsucking Bastards, which is like The Office with vampires in it. It's um, got Fan Carnes, who was in Cabin in the Woods, played the stoner character. He's brilliant in it. It's very funny, very gory. Great late night film. Another one to check out. And one that I didn't think would be very good, but is in my top three, is Frankenstein. Okay. Directed by Bernard Rose, who brought us Candyman. Yeah, yeah. And starring um, Xavier Samuel as the monster, with Danny Houston as Frankenstein. And Tony Todd is in it, isn't he? Tony Todd plays yeah. the old man. Yeah. Uh, the blind man. And he, that's his character. It's a very true adaptation of the book it's set in modern times it's brought into this into i think the 80s i think set in la and it, it worked it's really well done it's really well written brilliantly acted and samuel is fantastic as, as the monster do you know i've i really loved the frankenstein book by mary shelley i re- that's one of my favorite favorite books i used to read it sort of every uh, halloween time um, but there's never really been a properly faithful adaptation of it. The closest no. one was the Kenneth Branagh one with um, De Niro as the monster. That's the only one I can ever think of as being the closest adaptation in films. Yes. And even that takes a few liberties. Um, this this is what Bernard Rose wanted to do. He wanted to bring the adaptation as true to it, the book, yeah. as he could get it. Because there's certain things... It's, in the book, he's not made of body parts, is he? He's, 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 life is breathed back into... Exactly. It's, yeah. yeah. Um, the but jet... he's, quite, he's quite... Yeah, but anyway, carry on. <laughs> so it is. It's a very nice adaptation. And obviously, Bernard Rose was talking about the James Whale, 1931 version, mm-hmm. and saying it is very different. That They've got the same scenes. They've got the kid in the lake and all that. Yeah, yeah. And it, wor- it works really well. It really does work well. That thing with the kid in the lake was cut from the original James Whale version. Right. They censored it. They said they right. couldn't show him throwing a child into a lake and killing it. They don't censor it in this one. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, there was two anthologies that I want to talk about as well. Um, a Christmas Horror Story mm-hmm. and the closing film of the festival was Tales of Halloween, which was Lexi Carolyn's project where she got ten directors... And Lucky McKee, Neil Marshall, etc., to do ten segments for this this film and have a small wraparound. It closed the festival. It was a good closing film. It was solid, but it wasn't brilliant. Some of the sections were very, very good. Some of the sections were okay. Some of the sections were just average. And I think having ten segments in it probably let it down because they didn't have time to breathe. They didn't have time to just give you a little bit more. Um, if you've seen Trick or Treat, Trick or Treat, I would say is a lot better. I haven't seen Trick or Treat you've yet, not but seen I know how much you love it. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> you need to see Trick or Treat. 
Yeah. You, I haven't either, but you, you said Neil Marshall's name, and now I'm really interested. Right, well, Neil Marshall's segment is quite weird when you watch it. I won't tell you which one it is. You try and work out. Neil, Neil Marshall to a T, though, wasn't it? It's a bit of a weird yeah. One. yeah, definitely. He was there. <laughs> yeah. Um, the one that I didn't like most and the one that I thought I would was Lucky McKee's one. After the workman and the things he's done, I thought, I'm really looking forward to this one, mm. and I didn't like it. Well, you mentioned um, him by name in the preview you did on the website. Um, so, yeah. I was yes, kind of, yeah. I, was, I was expecting that one to be one of the strongest of the, the things. It's visually quite interesting, and probably Anna McIntosh does a really good job in it, but it just felt really out of place with what else was going on. However, Christmas Horror Story, which was three stories, one of them wasn't very good, the other two were really good. It, the payoff at the end is genius. It's just incredible. And we were all sat there going, wow. <laughs> we did not see that coming for a million miles. It was superb. And that was my favourite anthology of the weekend. It's got um, William Shatner in it as the DJ, and the DJ links all the stories. Okay. That's the wraparound that's going on. <laughs> it's he's, he's brilliant in it, and he just keeps feeding you these little snippets of something going on in this town and other things going on. And he just it, when it all ties it together at the end, you just think oh, that's incredible. <laughs> so. That was it. Right, there's one film I have to talk about. It's Steve Oram's R as well. Okay, yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. Is anybody, does anybody know what this film's about? No. Right. I know a little bit. It's kind okay. of like a... Um, is it a horror comedy-ish type thing? It is, is that... hor- it is a horror comedy. We were shown a clip in Glasgow in February, and we uh-huh. thought, okay, this is going to make an interesting short. However, they stretched that interesting idea to 92 minutes. Right. And... Um, Basically, everybody in the film talks like apes. Isn't he from Mighty Boosh? Did he work on Mighty Boosh? Or am I getting him confused with... Yeah, uh, there are, there's one of the other characters is from the Mighty Boosh. Because, he, yeah, he's the English guy, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it would have made a great short, and I would have been happy to watch it as a short, because I think it would have worked. 92 minutes of Toya Wilcox grunting and throwing things, at each, throwing food at each other and peeing up the thing. You just, I was like, no, I'm just oh, really? stressed with this. I don't know if it's a film you need to watch. I wouldn't recommend it if if it's something that you feel you wouldn't entertain you. It didn't entertain me at all. That's a that's a shame because I really liked him in um, Sightseers. He was fantastic yes, in Sightseers. He's brilliant in that. Um, but this is. This is just felt like a pretentious way of making a film with your mates. Basically, everything Noel Fielding's done since Mighty Boosh, then? Probably, yes. Yeah. And the other thing was that Toya Wilcox basically said the script that they sent, they actually sent a full script, so it was an English-speaking script, was hilarious, and then they, they basically just scrapped the script for him yeah. to talk monkey, and he's, he's, he won't let the script out. He said he's burnt it. It's fair enough. So that... And Cherry Tree, and the third worst film of the festival for me was Inner Demon. Right, okay. What, what was Inner Demon again? Oh. Inner Demon is a, a couple that are kidnapping kids. Right. And But you don't know why. There's no character development in it. They chase a girl around a forest for 20 minutes. She ends up in their house, and she gets locked in a closet. They know she's there. They don't really do anything about it. 
she's been stabbed. So she eventually, well, I don't know if she did. We, we couldn't work out if she died or didn't die. But then this, this demon came out of her and then just started wiping everyone out. And we're like, okay, we've <laughs> gone totally <laughs> off the boiler. And it was, again, like Cherry Tree, it was just utter rubbish. And that was on the main screen. There's hundreds of other films that I could talk about. Can I can I just ask you about two more, and yes. then we'll we'll kind of move on, I think. But yeah. one of them that I want to ask you, I don't know if you actually saw it yourself, but um, Takeshi Mike's new film was out. Uh, right, yes, I did see it. You was, did, yeah. yeah Over was, your dead body. Over called. your dead body. Yeah. It's probably it was the most stunning piece of cinema cinema that was shown that I saw at Fright Fest. It mm-hmm. looks incredible. Mm-hmm. It's about a play. Okay. About an old. Um, Japanese folklore story so they're doing the play about that but the stories, the actual stories playing out in real life over the top of it so the two are mimicking each other it's right. very very ingenious except on a Sunday morning having been to <laughs> the, the Phoenix Club all night it was not the film to watch and at the end of it everyone went what just happened um, right. we have no okay. idea so I really need to go back and sit down with a clear head and watch it again Okay, the other film that I wanted to ask you about, mainly because um, I'm sure Brooker can back me up here. I've had recommendations from Paul in the past. He's recommended films to me in the past <laughs> that haven't always worked out particularly well. Um, Funny, I've had a couple of them as well. Have you, have you? That surprises me. Yeah, I'm very shocked. But basically, he recommended a film on our podcast a while back called We Are Still Here, which is kind of like a ghost story, right. some vengeful, vengeful spirits and stuff. Did you see? I did see it. I did see it, and this is this will would have been the last film I would have talked about. This was my favorite film of the festival. Oh wow! Okay. It was. This was a proper horror story. It came on the Friday night at six thirty, and it just my fright fest started when this film finished. I just thought, wow, that was fantastic. As good as these final hours are, this Mm -hmm. was an out and out horror film that I would. I wanted to go to Fright Fest to see. This was it. And it is. It's very, very good. It's very clever. It's got nice scares in it. The, the payoff at the end overplays the demons a little bit too much, I think. But that's just a small niggle. Overall, mm-hmm. it's really well acted, brilliantly written. Um, okay. If I remember right, good. I think Paul had the same niggle about the end of it, didn't he? I think so, yeah. It went a bit off the rails in the last few minutes. Yeah. Um, it's it's a really really nice story and there's some really nice special effects. Um, it works it works really well. I think it, a lot of people really enjoyed it. Excellent. Well, you did just mention another film as well, which I think we can talk about because I've also watched it um, this week. Uh, yes. These final uh, hours. These final hours. Yeah. Some yes. Australian. Post. Uh, pre post apocalyptic. Yeah. Pre post apocalyptic. <laughs> yeah. Just as Again, there's a, a tsunami about to destroy... Well, it's kind of not a, a tsunami. It's not a tsunami, really. There's, there's not, been an event, isn't there? It's and more it's... in the, the... I would say ends like the knowing ends. But better than the knowing. The knowing. Yeah, oh, don't, no, have, the... don't go into watching this expecting yeah. knowing. Um, yeah. But the overall performances, the little girl in it is incredible. And I just think it works so well. That it 12 really hours, does. It is very, very good. I th- it left the audience stunned at the end of it. Mm. it, it mm. There was no applause for a good two minutes. 
it's. Do you know it, what? I I watched the first like two or three minutes, and it starts off a little bit like you're watching a music video. It There's does, not yes. a lot of dialogue going on. You're not really connected to a story just yet. It just seems like a lot of Instagrammed images that are that are being shown on on screen, and it it didn't grab me straight away. And I expected it to be kind of boring in 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 many respects. But I think once it gets past those opening credits, which are fantastic as well, by the way, the, yes. the opening credits are really good, really well done. Once it gets past that, you've got this very dark story. That's just bleak as hell about humanity and the things that people do as soon as they know that they've only got 12 hours left to live. Except for um, it does also show some uh, some brightness to, to human capability as well, because you've got um, Nathan Phillips, who uh, I don't think I've seen him in anything else, actually. I, don't, I can't think of anything else that I've seen him in, but um, he sort of plays this guy who's trying to get to an end of the world party. Which is basically a big orgy. Yes. And You've seen Wolf Creek? Wolf Creek, of course, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so I do know him from Wolf Creek. <laughs> um, I didn't, didn't recognise him at all. But yeah, so, so Nathan Phillips plays this guy, James, who kind of on his way to this party stumbles across a young girl who's been separated from her family. And in quite gruesome circumstances, it has to be. Has it to be is, said. yes. Yeah, so that starts you off on the track of, okay, this is going to be a very dark film. This is just going to be difficult to watch. But what makes it really engaging is it, the performances, and it's got a very good script, I thought. It is, it's very well written, yes, definitely. Very well paced, there's a really good script to it. Um, it kind of has some points where it verges on being a little bit silly. Definitely, yeah, I can see that. You, you, you're with me so far, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, I, th- at the same time, I, f- I felt it was a really good drama, and it's the kind of you, you, you expect it to be a bit cheap and uh, maybe veer away from some more serious topics that that might be considered. But I thought it handled everything really well. The only bit that that let it down slightly was the final scene where you see Rose and James I'm not going to say any more yeah I can understand why I, I think it to some people they probably found it quite emotional I thought there could have been a little bit more to that part of the story but otherwise these, these final hours I've really enjoyed it but how did it go down at Fright Fest did, um, did you like it mo- I would say 90% of the people loved it brilliant it is uh, looking through that list of um, top threes that we posted on Facebook. Oh yeah, yeah, you got some comments from Facebook. We mm-hmm. did. Um, yeah. It is generally very well thought of. Um, there was another film called Night Fair mm-hmm. and Summer Camp. Um, okay. I didn't see either of these. These, these basically everyone that I spoke to just said they were fantastic. They are so. These two go on your to watch lists. Because <laughs> nobody gave them a bad word. That's good. Yeah. So, uh, Fest always sort of fills up my Netflix watch list every year. I sort of add films to it that I remember that, that were talked about and stuff. So, yeah, it's always good for picking up new new recommendations, even if they do take sort of three or four years to come out in well, the UK. This is it. But um, Fest have got a new label coming out soon. Their own label where they're going to actually promote some of these films that are not getting distribution. That's 
really needed, I think. Yes, it is. Um, they will be online, and some of them will actually go get printed on DVD as well. Cool. So that's it. Overall, I would say 90% of the films at Fright Fest this year have been excellent. Um, Better than last year overall, th- do you reckon? Yeah, I think it's, a, it's definitely a stronger year on... The general consensus was it was a better year for film. Um, I didn't. I suffered. I picked the wrong choices. But listening to other people, I've got a list of films that I can come away with and go and watch. So it was it was an amazing weekend. It had the vibe back. The karaoke was brilliant. It was absolutely rammed out in the Phoenix. The last night part. What did you What did you sing, Mike? I didn't sing anything. <laughs> My friend sang "Bat Out of Hell" and brought the house down. <laughs> Eight minutes of that out of hell, and the whole place was rocking. So it was it was a great night. The whole weekend was fantastic, and I can't wait for Glasgow now. But I'm also doing celluloid screams as well. Oh yeah, yeah. So, Second year that you're going to that in a row, is it? Or yes, doing... it is. Yeah. yeah, that's a great little festival as well now. So okay, that's, cool. that's Fright Fest, and it was amazing. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Good. Um, yeah, so on to, to what everyone else has seen in the last week or so. Uh, Brooker, what have you what have you seen? I've uh, I sat and rewatched because uh, you know don't want to carry on talking about horror movies all night. <laughs> <laughs> I sat and watched a little indie horror called To Jennifer, which is it's by a guy. I mean, I I talk about this guy a lot. Uh, it's uh, another James Cullen Bresick film, the guy that made Hate Crime. Hmm. It's like his like seventh or eighth proper movie, and the guy's like twenty three years old now. The, Is that all? Yeah. Bloody hell! the The first film of his I watched after Paul recommended it to me was My Pure Joy, and he made that when he was eighteen years old. Wow! I didn't yeah. realize he was that young. Uh, and he does, you know, obviously all these films are very low budget. They're they're very cheap, but they're a lot of fun, and I really like it. And the two Jennifer is basically a road movie filmed entirely on someone's iPhone 5 <laughs> where one dude thinks his girlfriend is cheating on him because she gets a text message from him that's clearly meant to go to somebody else <laughs> and and so in, and so starts a road trip him and his mate who's actually played by James Cullen Bresick who's doing all the recording as they they go to find Jennifer and confront her and things just kind of go really horribly wrong in this very, very short movie. I mean, it's only like 73 minutes long. But, yeah, it's... It, it comes quite becomes quite clear there's something not quite right about this dude and his girlfriend hmm. because he refuses to phone her, he refuses to talk to her, and just wants to go face-to-face. So while, he, while his mates are trying to have a bit of a laugh in their road trip, this dude is absolutely losing his nut and causing trouble. And yeah, basically he's kind of, he's not rampaging, but there's definitely the dude slowly unraveling on this little, ro- this little cross country road trip to, uh, hmm. to go confront his missus. It's a, I only really rewatched it because in a couple of months, there's another one coming out. I think I think Bresic has, has said there's going to be three more Jennifer movies coming. Now I know he's, I know he's not directing the second one. I don't know who's directing three and four, but the second one comes out 
next month, I think, in the States. So right. I, I kind of wanted to watch this one again, just to remind myself before I watch the, the next one, which is filmed entirely on an iPhone 6. <laughs> just to shake it up a little bit. Is it um, a spoiler to say who's playing Jennifer? Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Okay. Right. Okay. <laughs> I won't say anything then. <laughs> but, uh, we're very familiar with her work. We, oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, it is a little bit. Okay. But yeah, it's, I mean, it's all right. It's, there's nothing big or special about it. it. If you don't like handicam movies like Green Zone and things, you, you're going to get a headache watching it. But if oh. you can stand handicam films, you're right. It's, it's over in the space of a decent length pilot episode of a TV show. So you ain't going to waste much time if you don't like it. But it's definitely worth a butcher's. I really enjoyed it. And I, I did he's forget... making some interesting films, isn't he? Um, he James Conan Yeah, he doesn't mess around, really. He He's always got something on. He, yeah. I think he's got like three films in the pipeline now. None of which look really good. But none of his films ever look good. <laughs> but, but, I, but I enjoy can... them all. Pernicious was one that we got the screener for, mm. and and I really enjoyed that. Yeah, yeah, I I, I was a bit um, apprehensive about it. I wasn't sure it would actually be that good, and I only really ended up watching it to review it on the podcast because you reviewed it and said how interesting a piece it was. So I gave it a go. It really was actually. I it, really it, like watching what people can do with no money. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You know, it's just it's the horror equivalent of watching early Kevin Smith movies. <laughs> Yeah, it's a good analogy, yeah. But And I really like what he does. You know, He enjoys what he's doing. He clearly enjoys what he's doing when he's making these films. Hmm. Uh, and I think that's more important than you know, $20 million budget and all the special effects in the world. I, you know, he's, he's clearly enjoying his work, and I enjoy watching him do it. Yeah. You don't get the impression he's making films with the eventual goal in mind of getting a James Watton status and... You know, jumping onto a, an established Fast Seven franchise sort of thing. You know, he's he's just making so. films that he wants to make. Yeah, I mean, I think most of his stuff he writes himself. Mm. Uh, you know, he does a little. He's done a couple of anthology pieces as well that he, you know he's jumped on, and I don't think he's looking to go the James Wan route. I think he's just you know he's surviving, he's living. I I don't think. I suppose if you're going to be a filmmaker, especially a horror filmmaker, it would be the dream to get a $10 million budget and all the special effects in the world. But I don't think he's pushing for it. I think he's just making the films he wants to make and enjoying his time while he does it. I know he's coming back to act in the next Jennifer movie. And I I guess he's producing it, but I know he's not directing it. Hmm. But yeah, it was 76 minutes of silliness. It was all right. I really enjoyed it. Okay. Uh, yeah, talking of, of the of TV pilots that Brooker did tenuously there, saw the first episode of Fear the Walking Dead. Mm. That was a bit disappointing. It was over an hour and there's only three bloody zombies in the old thing. <laughs> Second episode ups it, it a bit. Though. It, it was a it was a slow but you know it was a slow when the when the you saw the pilot of the original Walking Dead. Which was just brilliant. I mean, the, the series has gone on to to be very hit and miss in general, but that opening episode was was just brilliant, and this one was just a bit. Ugh. I kind of liked the, this one. I think it, it 
You're right about the the main series of The Walking Dead, in which it didn't really start as it meant to go on. It just started with a lot happening and then slowed the pace down a lot throughout yeah. the rest of the things. But this one, I think, is more reminiscent of perhaps the most recent season of The Walking Dead, which is no surprise, I guess. You know, they're coming out at sort of a similar time, but I think it's it's got that sl- slightly slower pace, but. I still think there's a lot going on underneath that. I think well, there's a lot to, to I thought, I thought it perhaps have a, a faster pace because it was set during the outbreak. So it was all mm. going to be in a big city, so it's all going to be going off around them. And obviously they, the first episode was set a little bit before it just started going off around them. So a bit of The a... thing with the, the Walking Dead pilot, though, like the original Walking Dead pilot, it had to throw everything at the screen. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Because outside of the people that had read the graphic novels it it was a new thing so you had to throw everything at the screen so you can get people involved and get people interested because you know it's not like guys like us that sit and go oh shit frank darabont's making a tv show we have to watch this mm-hmm. you know but the thing because fear the walking dead obviously is tapping into an already massive fan base that's a very it, good point yeah i think it gets to tell its story a little bit slower i mean i didn't mind it i thought it could have done a bit more Episode two, lit, I watched it literally 20 minutes before we started recording tonight. And <laughs> yeah, episode two is, it ups it quite a bit. I really, okay. episode two is def, it's definitely worth sticking with. Okay. Um, but yeah, what I, was, what I mainly want to talk about is um, one of the films I watched this week, which is Joe from 2013, starring uh, Nicolas Cage. Um, in one of his better more recent roles <clears throat> I think it's not really a secret that he's that he had a, a very diminishing returns of late um, I mean don't, year... don't give us that the Wicker Man was spectacular <laughs> a, a year before he made this he made Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance oh man but so... he misses fire uh, have you watched those films there, there's, there's I can't think of a single film that can't be improved by adding that fire pissing scene into it <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess that that gives it an extra an extra boost. But <laughs> yeah, and uh, Idris Elba, Idris Elba's in that one, so that gets a little bit of extra. And Christopher Lambert, it's awesome. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, Joe, Joe. So Joe is is about Nicolas Cage, who is is uh, Joe, and he's kind of a he's not really a loner, but he is he is I suppose kind of a loner. He's he comes across this this sort of teenage boy called Gary who is, is an abusive father and he kind of gradually takes him under his wing um, I think without going into the plot in depth or giving away any spoilers for people who might not see it because yeah it's been out a couple of years but it's it's probably not the biggest known film um, it's really good I really enjoyed Nicolas Cage's performance even though it's a bit bit different to kind of what you what might have seen him in before uh, a different I mean, he's playing this kind of grizzled, uh, older man. Um, but yeah, just just thought he pulled off a really good performance. And the 15-year-old... What, Ty Sheridan? Yeah, that's the one whose name I was frantically looking for. He was, <laughs> he was really good as well. It's just, you know, um, just good to see him back on a bit of form, which I'm sure he did, probably dipped out of straight away. He, he's a weird actor, isn't he, Nicolas Cage? I mean... He's a weird man. He's a weird man, but he can be absolutely brilliant. 
in some films. If you watch Adaptation, that is a genuinely brilliant performance from Nicolas Cage. And then you can watch something like uh, the Ghost Rider films and think, what the fuck? Who is this the same actor? Who is this the same bloke? Um, but we, I think we generally love him, don't we, Nick Cage? There's just yeah. something really... I mean, my favourite performance of his is Bad Lieutenant in the remake. Um, he's just... At, that's him at his most crazy. And he just nails it all the way through. He's brilliant. He was kind of a really big part of when I first started watching a lot of films. He had like The Rock and Con Air and Faith yeah. Off. I love all those films. I love them. I used to really hate him. I used to think that he ruined films. And then I realised, no, he doesn't ruin films. He just is Nick Cage. You just have to forget like all the extra stuff. It's just, he's Nick Cage and he's just going to do Nick Cage's thing. I mean, the, I think The the Rock followed by Con Air followed by Face Off was peak Cage. That's yeah. what a run. Um, but then you end up with... Wasn't that, of... that was after he'd won his Oscar though, wasn't it? For Leaving Las Vegas, I think yeah. he won the Oscar. Yeah. Well, even Las Vegas came before The Rock. But, yeah. But then you get sort sort of stuff that goes from, like, you get National Treasure, Lord of War, The Weatherman, The Ant Bully in a row. <laughs> oh, <laughs> National Treasure's all right. National like Treasure. It. The National Treasure films are good, fun family films. There is nothing wrong with the National Treasure films. I'll stick up for them all day. Oh yeah, they're all right. A bit, a bit. <laughs> you know, in the same way that Night at the Mu- Night at the Museum is just a. A funny, well, silly, dark, dark family film. In- inoffensive family films. Yeah. Hmm. Time now to review a couple of new releases. First up, Andrew Brooker has seen Hitman. Yeah, so nobody else has to. <laughs> <laughs> Is it really no. that bad? Oh. It depends on how you look at it, is the really honest answer. If if you go in like me, and I'm a big fan of the games, you're going to fucking hate it. Because it's not the games. And they just need to quit making action films based on stealth games. It's pointless. It doesn't work. And it's a, the, completely wrong, the completely wrong direction for a franchise like that. Is, is but, the Metal Gear Solid movie still in the pipeline? I think it quite possibly is. Well, we've had the Creed movie the... next year. Yeah, we've had yeah exactly. We, I was just about to say that we've seen Michael Fassbender now in a first image of that. Well, the, but I mean, obviously, I'll be really, really quick because obviously this is going to interest like four people. That <laughs> so the thing with Michael Fassbender and Assassin's Creed is what they're doing is they're making they're inventing a whole new character for the film. Okay, it's got fuck all to do with the nine games that have come out so far. Nice. Absolutely nothing to do with it. What Something like that. that? But, 3DS games plus uh, console games. I think it's eight or nine. Hmm. I, I can't. I, I don't. Do you know. think that's a bit of stunt casting? Uh, or are they trying to genuinely I, make I a know, film? I don't think Michael Fassbender's the kind of guy that would fall into stunt casting, is he? Well, Jake Gyllenhaal did Prince of Persia. No, you know. yeah, true. Prince of Persia was again that's right. as an action it? film. It was okay as a yeah. film based on the game. It was dog shit. Yeah. But the thing with Assassin's Creed, the Assassin's Creed movie, is that it's based on none of the games at all. So they're doing a whole new arc, a whole new story, completely separate from anything anybody's ever played. And that's the way to do it. Because there's no way you can take 
even if you just take one game, and this counts for Hitman as well, you can't take one 30-hour game and squeeze it into one 90-minute movie. Mm. It don't work. And this is kind of the problem that Hitman's got. It's tried to squeeze all this lore, all all this history behind this franchise into one two-hour film and only barely scratch the surface. And, that, and as a fan of the games, it's, offensive maybe is the wrong word. It doesn't offend me that the film's shit. It's just really fucking disappointing. But as an action film, it's it's low-budget transporter. Mm. You know, it's it's silly action. It's like a Europa Corp movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Is um is uh, uh, Rupert Friend any better than uh, Timmy Elephant? Well, see, I like Timmy Elephant in the original one. Yeah. So, but Rupert Friend, he done all right. I, I think he done all right because he he replaced Paul Walker, didn't he? He did. He had to step in, didn't he? Yeah, because Paul Walker was going to be forty-seven, and I. God bless him. I like Paul Walker, but I can't. I can't imagine him with a bald head and that tat and that. <laughs> it would just. Yeah. I don't know Rupert Friend that well, so mm-hmm. it didn't really bother me that I didn't know him. Was the shape of his head didn't quite fit, which Tim Fiola fans did, to be fair. Uh, <laughs> yeah, at least if, if nothing else, he nailed having the right shape of head. Exactly. Yeah. You know, if you're going to get one thing right, that's the thing to do. Exactly. <laughs> it didn't get much else right. I'll be no, honest. but the problem with Hitman was it because it's an action film. It's basically a two-hour Audi advert. <laughs> It really is. It's like the, the opening scene where you see this guy do an assassination. He tags three cars and they're marked Audi 1, Audi 2 and Audi 3. But every car in this fucking film is an Audi. It is literally, it's one giant Audi commercial. But like I say, as an action film, the scene, the action scenes are fine. They're, you know, pretty spectacular, decent explosions, lots of nice gruesome, gritty deaths, and one Wilhelm scream. <laughs> it, uh, yeah, the, um, the thing is, it's like because I wrote the review, didn't I? And in yeah. the review, I said, the story is just a way to connect all these lovely ways of killing people. And it's the most generic of stories. You know, and it's exactly the same as uh, Dark Angel was back in the day. You know, genetically altered dude finds genetically altered woman, goes hunting for genetically altered woman's dad before bad guys can find him and make them do it again. That is basically the entire plot of this film. It is so, yeah. so generic. Just things really uninspiring. It's, yeah. it's. I'm glad I went to watch it because I wanted to give it a chance. The problem is, it's got a post-credits scene that clearly shows that Fox want to turn this into a franchise. And so does it, I mean, is this actually anything to do with the first Hitman film? Oh, it isn't. So it's a remake or yeah. re, re... What's the word? It's uh, just another boom. Hitman film. Yeah. Reboot. Thank you. It's a... Uh, I mean, I'm calling it now. If they actually do decide to make a second one, I've not seen what the box office numbers are like. I can't imagine they're good. But... They were reporting at one point it was the lowest scoring uh, video game adaptation movie on Rotten Tomatoes. Wow, which pretty low. Considering its company down there, that's pretty bad. Lower than any Uwe Boll film? Yep. Wow. (laughs) Who's going on Rotten Tomatoes and reviewing that positively? 
What? Where have they aggregated those reviews from? I don't know. I've not looked. Jesus. <laughs> but yeah, it's. I'm calling it now. If they turn it into a franchise, the next one, and this is going to be an ever so minor spoiler for the post-credit scene. It's going to be called Blood Money. I next to guarantee it. <laughs> <laughs> because they introduce a character in the post-credit scene that comes from a specific point in one of the specific games. Right. So no it's pretty, pretty much nailed on. Does that make you more excited to see it or less? Nope. Or just no. Nope. No need for it. I've seen uh, you know, I've seen the two thousand and seven one, I've seen the new one, I don't need a third. Okay. Well <laughs> uh, on to the, the next and the final film new release that we're reviewing. That is straight out of Compton, the biopic of NWA or probably more actually Doctor Dre Z and Ice Cube, it's really not really a biopic of the other two. <laughs> You, you couldn't have sounded more white when saying that. Straight out of Compton. Do you want me to black it up a bit? <laughs> if you want to be more gangster. Do you want me to black up? But, no, that's a bit too far. But you could be more gangster. You do it then. You put some street on it. I can't, I can't put street on it. Listen, you've no. seen me in person. You've heard my voice. What does NWA stand for, Owen? No um, one is saying that out loud. <laughs> <laughs> Now with attitude. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the radio friendly version. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> anyway, uh, so yes, that's what it's all about. Um, some white boys here went to watch it. What do we all think? I loved it. Good, wasn't it? Oh, it was great. Loved the soundtrack. Oh, I love it. I came home because I've got all the, I've got a load of old NWA stuff and that on my iTunes. So I came home and just blasted it out for hours. I literally, I regressed to a 15-year-old. It was spectacular. I kind of had a phase when I was younger when I listened to a lot of um, rap music. And I'm not saying I grew out of it. I don't think that's right. I just, you know, people's musical tastes change. They depend on who your friends are and all that kind of thing when you're that age. Um, I never really got into NWA. I never, I mean, I liked Dre at the time and I liked Snoop. You know, down with the kids, Snoop. Oh, talk Dre. about sounding bloody white. <laughs> <laughs> white, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Dre. I like I like Dre and Snoopy Stoops. <laughs> Diddy. Yeah. Poof Daddy, yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. NWA was never one, one of those that I go into. But from what I've heard about the documentary, it's very one-sided. Is that how it came across when you were watching it? Because it's supposed to be very Dre-orientated, isn't it? It yeah, kind of. Did you watch Notorious when it came out? Well, you probably didn't. I didn't, no. Oh, right. See, Notorious, I think, kind of suffers from the same problem. Okay. It, the story of Notorious B.I.G. watered down by the people that made it to just show you the positive stuff. Mm. Now, I don't think Straight Outta Compton quite falls into that. They do a little bit of... There was, there was some dodgy stuff going on. But there were some glaring omissions... But it, and it was but it was put together by Dre and Ice Cube. But this so. was it. It was put together by the guys that the the problems are with. So yeah, it's if you're if you're making a film about yourself, you, I think you're going to be honest to an extent, but you're probably going to leave out the really bad stuff. Oh yeah, absolutely. And focus on focus on the good stuff, and then being oppressed by the police when they're trying to you know because of a song they've written and yeah that kind of thing they're going to focus on that more than anything but, but isn't isn't part of it though with um straight head compton the fact that 
is it D Barnes who's kind of had quite a bit to say about it? It feels like he's been slightly marginalised or uh, even victimised as part of the story, whereas the others are kind of making themselves look a bit better. Is that is that what's happened? Yeah, the thing with Straight Outta Compton, I mean, it's I don't know how much it's really a spoiler because it's a biopic. I wouldn't I wouldn't worry too much about so it. It's it's pretty much general knowledge that Easy is has been dead for a long time. Yeah. And because of that, I felt quite sorry for the character on screen because the poor bastard can't defend himself. Yeah. And that felt like a really arsehole move for Dre and Ice Cube to make. I really didn't like it. Hmm. It just seemed like the, all the bad stuff, all the all the negative stuff in the film, most of it revolved around him and his character. Now, I'm not saying it didn't revolve around him in real life. Mm-hmm. I'm saying that Again, we need it, some of the negative stuff from the other guys as well to balance in a, it out. In a, in a way, it kind of appears as a scapegoating him. Yeah, because he can't he can't come out in the press and say no, that's not how it happened. He can't get involved with the production of this film because he's he, he's dead, so he's not able to. He can't put his point across. Um, obviously, there'll be people sticking up for him, but him himself. Can't, he himself can't come out and and put his influence on the on the film or put his side across. It just feels like well he's not around, so we can kind of just put it on him. It, it very much felt like that, and I thought that was that was probably my only real gripe about the film. That and the really obvious bit of missing Dre's horrendous fucking woman beating. Hmm. Yeah, that was a, a glaring omission. It was, and it was conspicuous by his absence as well. It, it absolutely should have been in there. I know he's come out and apologised for it now. I, and, I think he was. I think he was forced time. to, wasn't he? Because people saw it yeah. and went, "Hold on, buddy, why ain't this yeah. in the film?" Because yeah. he essentially works for Apple now, doesn't he? Well, he, so, he sold Beeps to Apple yeah. for about three billion, didn't he? Didn't Didn't he make more money from those headphones than he's made from pretty much all of his music combined? Pretty Is much. That, that what is that right? I mean, I'm sure I read that recently with he all the lost, publicity about he this. Lost an awful lot of money back in the day with his music. Hmm. Uh, to a thing that's actually shown in the film, I was quite impressed that that was in there, considering, and I can never pronounce his name, Shoe Knight is still alive and is a master. Isn't it just Shug Knight? Shug Knight. I thought it was Shug Knight. But then I'm white, yeah. I don't know these things. <laughs> but because he's the dude that famously hung vanilla ice over a hotel balcony. Yeah, because he, he didn't uh, didn't accept his contract. Vanilla ice. <laughs> like lovely, couldn't, lovely. Couldn't, couldn't think of two fucking polar opposites as Suge Knight and Vanilla Ice. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, mean, I was quite surprised that that was in there, considering Suge Knight is still alive and is still, you know, has recently been going through court for assault or yeah. attempted murder or something. You know, mm. he's not a nice fella, is Suge Knight. No, there's lots of stories about him just being a, a bit of a wrong end. Yeah. <laughs> what about sort of the um, the performances then? Because uh, a big thing was made about uh, Ice Cube's son, O'Shea Jackson Jr., playing oh. him in the film. Was he good? He Did was he live up fucking to it? spectacular. Yeah. He, he looked like his dad, didn't he? <laughs> the thing is, he, he doesn't just look like Ice Cube's son. He looks like 18-year-old Ice Cube. Yeah. Fuck me. That, I mean... 
me and the wife went to watch it because the wife uh, was a big fan as well back in the day. And literally every time he turned up on screen, every time he, every time he opened his mouth or done that stupid ice cube scowl that he does <laughs> in all his fucking comedies, we just looked at each other going, fucking hell, that <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. I mean, that dude, Ice Cube has got a big personality and his lad done really well and jumping he's, into those shoes. He's been claiming in interviews, both of them have, that he really had to work to get the part. He wasn't just giving it off the back of him being Ice Cube Jr. I can... I suppose I can believe that because Ice Cube didn't just get handed films, did he? I mean, the one that made him famous, he wrote. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. And was directed by the guy that directed Straight Outta Compton. Yeah. Boys in the Hood, wasn't it? No, Friday. Oh, was it Friday? Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, but he was in Boys in the Hood as well. He was in Boys in the Hood. That was John Singleton, wasn't it, done that one. Okay. Uh, uh, yeah, I thought they were good performances all round, really. I thought they were great. I thought everybody played their part really, really well and yeah. was really convincing as the uh, as the rappers, or at least as the the versions of the rappers that we got to know listening <laughs> to their music. Hmm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I, do you think that that people who aren't interested in these people or that kind of music would take something away from this? I think they would. I think they probably would. I mean, I've I've sat and watched, uh, you know, biopics on other musicians. That I've got not an awful lot of interest in, you mm. know, the the Johnny Cash one for for starters. And, and when you saw it, I didn't have this when I when I saw it. But did you have the same thing? as when I went to see Wolf of Wall Street where there's people who've just gone to see like a film that's doing really well and like they've got no business being in that kind of film. Like there was two old deer sat near me in Wolf of Wall Street and there was a lot of tutting going on. <laughs> I didn't know any, anybody who who shouldn't have been in a screening of Straight Outta Compton and rocked so up. What I got, because I, I went to see it up in Northampton where the actual the cinema we went to is not in a particularly decent area. So what we actually yeah. got was like a screen, a Saturday morning screening full of white guys about my age, <laughs> all kind of dragging their left foot gangster out as they walked out of the cinema. Full because of crackers. They, yeah, absolutely. Because <laughs> this just brought every single one of them has brought back their teenage years and they're yeah. walking out, putting baseball caps on backwards and walking out all gangster and shit. And after I tried desperately not to do it as well, I put my coat on. I was like, no, don't fucking. Do- you're going to look like a dick don't fucking do it <laughs> but yeah it, I think yeah it was re- I really loved it and if it wasn't for the fact that it's two and a half hours long I'd happily go mm. back and watch it again yeah it was a little bit long that was... 147 minutes that's just really self-indulgent that is it's a, that's for a film about a bunch of guys rapping fuck the police that's that's a bum numbing yeah. running mm. time yes yeah, uh, you've probably seen this, Steve. Um, you, you watched a few of them last year and the year before, but the 30 for 30 documentary on ESPN. Yeah, Did yeah. you watch the one about the LA Lakers? Um, I don't think I've seen that one. Okay, I would recommend that because that is um, uh, narrated by, you know, presented by Ice Cube himself. And he talks yeah. about the effect that the, the NWA had on the Los Angeles area and for the short amount of time that they had the LA Lakers there. And that's really interesting. And that's the only thing that's made me kind of more interested in seeing Straight Outta Compton because it's 147 minutes long. It's, I just it's got, can't. It's got a couple of decent nods to Because obviously that it goes, it, it stretches, their story stretches across things like the 
the Rodney King trials and stuff like that. Okay, yeah. So you have a couple of couple of stretches where bits of their story tie in with bits of that story and mm-hmm. and how it affects LA as a whole. Yeah. It it tells that story quite well, but it is again, it's very self indulgent. Yeah. It, it's it, the whole sort of black and silver stuff was what came yeah. out of their fashion, the, wasn't it? Because they wore the, the, the LA Lakers. Yeah, absolutely. There's a couple of really kind of poignant scenes in the film, and I, I can't sound fucking whiter. <laughs> Go on, do it. But the uh, the two LA gangs, the Bloods and the I can't believe I'm saying this. The Bloods and the Crips. They've got this one scene where they walk towards the police mm-hmm. together, and it's this really kind of poignant moment in LA history that NWA were kind of. You know, air quotes, mm-hmm. kind of, a part of. It's, it's, like yeah. when all, it's like when all the football hooligan firms join up when England go and play abroad, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just link hands in solidarity. Yeah. yeah. Beat up some Polish. Yeah. 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 Any, anyway, <laughs> that's, that's all for uh, the new releases. Nearly all for the podcast. It's time for some recommendations for everyone. I am going to take the easy way out and go for ITV on Friday night at 20 to 11. It's the original Fast and Furious. You can see where all this mentalness about cars began. I love that film. And Owen? Um, Mine's on the same night, but when you say the original Fast and Furious, yeah, you don't mean the 1950s film, I'm assuming? No. No, no I didn't think so. Did I steal a lorry full of TV VCR combis in that as well. <laughs> I've never seen it. I just I can't imagine it's very good, you know. But uh, anyway, yeah, film four on um, Friday. Ten, is it? Sorry, it's film four tomorrow, Wednesday, uh, at ten past eleven p.m. Um, is the uh, 1995 film From Dusk Till Dawn. Um, yeah, it's fantastic, isn't it? With Clooney, Coitel, Tarantino, Salma Hayek, Tom Savini. It's just got a fantastic cast I to love it. That film. It's brilliant. Um, but I think it's because the new series has been added to Netflix, the TV series. The second season of that is now on Netflix, um, which I really must get into. I kind of in- I watched the first episode of the Netflix series and I quite enjoyed it. I just need to get back into it. I hate um, the first couple of episodes. I stopped watching it. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I thought it was quite fun in that sort of tacky dust till dawn second half sort of way but um yeah i mean the the, the original film is is brilliant it's just it, i rewatched it last year it still held up as really good fun um yeah I, I highly recommend it if you've not seen it before okay uh brooker uh mine's on any night you like because it's on uk netflix <laughs> i uh i spotted just yesterday that it had been added to the catalog i don't know how long it's been there but they've got uh, horns on Netflix. Yeah. I love that film. I went into that expecting a bit of a rubbish horror, and I don't think I've laughed quite so much at a horror film. I'd have liked uh, the, to have expanded the bit where he actually starts to go around the, the town and yeah. get people to confess. I think that would have been a bit nicer, a bit longer, and a few more stories. But overall, I think it's a superb film. There's a, a good, fun horror film. I really liked it. Okay, uh, Mike. Um, well, I'm going to do, as I said in my first roundup, Bait is actually on DVD on the 7th. Um, I would 
recommend that and support Don, Dominic Brunt <laughs> on UK Horror. Okay. Uh, yeah, so that's all for this week's Failed Critics Podcast. Thank you all for listening. Uh, me and Owen will be back next week, joined by Owen. Yes, joined by me. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And... Well, you took your cue fantastically well there. Yeah. <laughs> well done. And and who? Uh, what will we be reviewing? Next week? Yes. On, on, on our podcast? Yeah. That we're doing? Yeah. I'm stalling for time. Stalling so time. Right yeah, Paul Fields. <laughs> Paul Fields back on the podcast. Oh, good. Paul, I like Paul. And American Ultra, I think, is out. Uh, American Ultra, and I think maybe the new Transporter film is out. Yeah, yeah. There'll be, be all kinds of stuff like that. All kind of film goodies in our bag of movies to pull out and see. Um, The Failed Critics Podcast is presented by Steve Norman and Owen Hughes, created by James Diamond, with original music provided by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com, remixed by James Yule of JamesYule.com. You can find us at FailedCritics.com, on Twitter at FailedCritics, and Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash FailedCritics. Thanks for listening. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.